top 10 lists, but this is church, so we can only do seven. Um, so I have this morning's top seven list, top seven signs that you ate too much at Thanksgiving. Consider this a warning. Number seven, the doctor tells you that your weight is perfect if you were 17 feet tall. Number six, you are responsible for a slight but measurable shift in the earth's axis. Number five, paramedics bring in the jaws of life to pry you out of the lazy boy. Number four, you receive a sumo wrestler application in your email. Number three, uh, picking your finger for a cholesterol screening yields gravy. <laughs> I think my redneck roots means that's my favorite. Um, Number, three, uh, number two, your wife wears a life jacket at night in your waterbed. Uh, and then number one, the representatives from the Butterball Hall of Fame have called twice. <laughs> now that's just more for fun than anything else. But I got to thinking about it, and it occurs to me that this is going to be my 46th Thanksgiving. And I remember most of them. And in 45 Thanksgiving past, I don't ever remember a time where somebody hesitated to fill their plate. Like, I can't remember a time where somebody was like, eh, I don't know, maybe I don't want to eat today, maybe I do, eh. Like, I don't remember that. It's like, pass the gravy. Like, you know, they're just they're eager about this. We look forward to this. And I don't know if, like, maybe we don't ever fail to appropriate our piece of turkey or our favorite dessert at Thanksgiving, but I wonder if sometimes as Christians we fail to appropriate, we fail to claim as our own the blessings that God has already promised to give us. We're going to talk about that today. Open your Bibles to Joshua 18. Joshua 18, 1 to 10 is our passage today. Thanks for being here. Those watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. I uh, want to encourage you in the room, online, doesn't matter. Take a second and fill out your connection card. That helps us a lot. We've been in a sermon series about how the Lord wants us to switch out of survival mode and into thrive mode. And, and so as part of that, each week in the beginning of each of these messages, we have some uh, top tips from Chapel Rock's resident experts in their various fields. Today we're going to talk about uh, mental health and mental thriving. I want to invite my brother Gene on stage to share with us. Uh, Gene is a licensed counselor, and so he's going to talk to us about what it means uh, to thrive in the mental health arena. Gene, thanks for, for being with us this morning. There's that for you. And if you would just share with us kind of your, your observations from your experience and stuff. Sure. So I'm going to go quick because last, uh, last time I did this, I went over. It was good, but I went over. So real quick. So I'm a LMHCA, and that just means that I have a license to practice mental health therapy here in Indiana. Um, I have a, a plaque, a piece of paper, and a nice nice uh, frame if, in my office if you need to see it. it. It's legit. It really is. I am a therapist. Um, so real quick, so one of the things we've seen coming out of this pandemic is a lot of depression and anxiety. And even before the pandemic, this was like, th these two disorders were huge in America. Um, so how do we thrive with mental health coming out of this? And what I've found in my practice is when I have added a, 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 it sounds like a small, simple piece, but it's not easy. And it's, it's simply spiritual formation. Because when we are thriving, growing to be close to God, when we are, we are, we are spending our time focused on growing 
to be more like Jesus, we don't have time to focus on these other things. And spiritual formation is different than discipleship. A lot of people get that confused. So spiritual formation is more about what God is doing in me. It's, it's about me getting myself in a position to accept what God's going to do. And so what I do to do that is prayer. It's fasting. It looks like spending time alone with God and meditating on his word. And see, when I do that, I'm putting myself in this position where God can, can do what he's going to do in my heart. Because that's where the change needs to take place is in our heart. When our heart changes, everything else changes. Okay, good and bad can't reside in the same location. So I can't be focused on the negative and the fear and the worry and all of that when I'm focused on Jesus. I can't do it. So from my perspective, my practice, the people I work with, the way I help them to thrive, and at first I didn't even realize this is what I was doing. Um, I just thought, you know, hey, as a Christian, I look through this particular lens, this Christian lens first. And in looking through that lens, it tells me that what I'm, the things that are wrong, my, my brokenness, there is a way that I can live whole. And the way I do that is drawing closer and looking more and more like Jesus every day. And I do that through spiritual formation, setting myself up so that God can work in my heart. And then my discipleship is the reaction to what God has done. So I'm keeping his promises. Um, I'm standing on those because they're in there. He wrote them. They're his to us, and we have to claim them. So thriving in mental health, in my opinion, looks a lot like spiritual formation, is spiritual formation. Thank you. few weeks ago we started a series where we're looking at the people of Israel's experience coming out of slavery in Egypt and beginning to, to, to claim everything that God had promised Abraham to give them in the promised land. And their experience through that, that period of sacred history, kind of switching out of survival mode into thrive mode, I think parallels some of the same things that we need to do coming out of this pandemic and, and the mindset shift that we need to get our heads around. And, and I guess the final step in that process, to me, is ultimately, you just got to believe God enough to do what he said. The ultimate, the, the final step in thriving is really to believe God enough <laughs> that you can do what he told you to do, to act on his directives. Have you ever met someone who just kind of walked around and they just kind of seem like they own the world, you know? There's two versions of this. One version is the person who's really cocky. Like, they just, they, they, they act like they own the world because they think that they do, right? And, and it's, it's their frame, their mental framework. They just kind of walk around like, everything ought to just shift toward me. But then there's another kind of person who walks around, and they, they do, they've got this sense of confidence, that there's a self-assuredness there, but it's not focused on themselves, it, it, it's, not, it's not cocky, it doesn't come off that way at all, but they do seem to have this sense of mastery over their environment, and you're like, 
it's what's really fascinating to this about about that to me is you've got one group of people that you're like they annoy the snot out of me i can't stand that dude same person same kind of general demeanor right feels like or, or a different person feels like they, they kind of seem like they've got this sense of mastery over their environment but it doesn't come off cocky it does, in fact i want to be more like that person what what's the difference there I think one is focused on themselves, the other is focused on thriving as God has ordained, and that and it makes all the difference. It really does. You've got one person who's completely self-absorbed and someone else who says, you know what, I, I, I'm, I want everything God has for me. I really do. I want every blessing he, he wants to give me. I'll, I'll take that. Yes, thank you very much. Sometimes it can look the same to someone who's not paying close attention, but once you start to get to know those two people, you're like, whoa. There really is a difference here. And we're going to see that, I think, in our text today. This final aspect of thriving really is believing God enough to enjoy the victories that he has for us. Our text today is is one of the many examples in Scripture of this idea. Let me give you a little context. In Joshua chapter 16 and 17, Joshua outlines the boundaries of the land of each of of the tribes, at least five of the twelve. And, and, and so they, they've already received their inheritance, the land east of the Jordan River, and they've said, listen, this is good land, we like it, we'd like to settle here, even though God originally had only designated the land west of the Jordan, from, from the Jordan River to, to the, sea of the Mediterranean Sea. But they're like, hey, we like this, can we just have that? Okay, yeah. So, so they, they divvy up the land, five of the 12 tribes receive land over there, you still have seven left. So chapter 16 and 17 talk about those, the first five, The end of chapter 18 and chapter 19 talk about dividing up the land for the remaining seven. And right in the middle, there's this problem. And Joshua has to deal with this problem that he sees in the people of Israel. You look for that as we read the text together this morning. Look with me at Joshua chapter 18, verse 1. Then the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh. Shiloh's kind of right smack in the middle of the country. And set up the tent of meeting there. Now you remember when they were in the wilderness, right, coming out of slavery, Moses commanded them to build the tent of meeting. It became ultimately, it was the predecessor to the temple, but it's this tent that gets set up and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was and that's where they made the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, all that stuff. That's where that took place. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, how long we're going to come back to those two words how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the lord the god of your ancestors has given you appoint three men from each tribe i will send them out to make a survey of the land and to write a description of it according to the inheritance of each then they will return to me you are to divide the land into seven parts judah is to remain in its territory on the south and the tribes of joseph in their territory on the north remember the tribes of joseph are ephraim and manasseh the joseph's two sons after you have written descriptions of the seven parts of the land bring them here to me and i will cast lots for you in the presence of the lord our god the levites however do not get a portion among you because the priestly service of the lord is their inheritance now we talked a little bit about that last week if you're like what is he even talking about go back and check out last week's message And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it to them. 
As the men started out on their way to map out the land, Joshua instructed them, this is going to sound real familiar, go and make a survey of the land and write a description of it. Then return to me and I will cast lots for you here at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left and went through the land. They wrote its description on a scroll, town by town in seven parts, and returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. Joshua then cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, and there he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their tribal divisions. Now you're like, you just said that. What? Why is it in there like twice? You have to remember, this was originally oral. It, w- it was written down, but it was very, nobody had their own copy that they could go and look at. Or very few did, right? Only the very, very wealthy. Um, so it, it's, it's oral. It, the repetition is so that you remember. It, it says it again so that we're reminded of this. Now, did you hear it? Did you pick out the problem there? These people had been given land by God, right? He'd been victorious in battle, but they're just kind of hanging out in the camp. They're not going out and appropriating the land for themselves. And they had been captured by kind of what I would call an unholy inertia. Do you remember inertia from your high school physics class? Right? An object at rest tends to stay in rest. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. And they had kind of gotten this spiritual inertia. They were just kind of stuck. Like God had said, go get it. And they're like, we're not, no, we're good. You know, and they were just kind of staying there. And I think, church, one of the biggest barriers to thriving that we have is we kind of reach this sense of spiritual equilibrium, and we kind of get this sense where we're stuck. And God is like, go, come on. I got more for you out there if you'll just go get it. But we're stuck. I'm, I'm good. I'm cool. Like, I can manage this chaos. I don't know what's out there in front of me, but I'm, I'm good with this. That's not thriving. That's not what God wants for you. That's not wholeness. (laughs) So how do we conquer this spiritual inertia? How do we experience the thriving in Christ that he intends for us to have? I think this text offers three fantastic battle strategies to get through this. Okay? Here's the first one. Number one, you overcome inertia with a plan. You overcome inertia with a plan. Heard a story about a couple that they worked hard all their lives, and both of them worked, and, and, I mean, they were pulling, you know, 60-hour weeks routinely. And, and they were just saving and saving and saving because they had this plan that when they both retired, they were going to build a cabin in the mountains and they were just going to enjoy being together for, you know, the, the, they just really finally enjoy each other. And they did. They followed through on that plan. They built this beautiful log cabin, they, acres from anybody, right? They're just the two of them there together. And they just designed this thing to be cozy. They're like, we will go visit the grandkids in their house. This is just for us. And it's a little cozy cabin, and every night in the fall, their favorite thing in the world is get a good fire going in the fireplace, and they just sit there in their chair, and they each had their own chair that they picked out, and they just enjoy that fire, and they'd be there together, and they'd have a cup of coffee, and it was just a wonderful thing. And one night they're sitting there, and, and the, the wife, Helen, <laughs> says to her husband, Joe, she says, Joe, I, I, you know, we we're supposed to get that front come through, and I think I'm hearing it. I think, would you, why don't you get up and go check and see if we're supposed to get all that rain and snow that we're, we're due? And it's quiet and the fire's crackling. and He can feel the heat, the warmth, just he's comfy in his chair and it's warm and it's cozy. And he just said, Helen, can't we just call the dog and see if he's wet? You know, like, <laughs> you know, we laugh, but I, I can't help but wonder how many times are we like that? Like, I'm just, I'm cozy, I'm, I'm comfy, don't, don't make me do something. 
And what, what's actually happening, church, is that you are becoming content with less than God has for you. There's, there's actually more blessing out there for you. And we're like, I'm good. And there's this sense of inertia that kicks in. I, that's, I think that's what the Israelites were guilty of. You know, they've got seven tribes that still haven't like really laid claim. Like, this is ours. Yep, God gave this to us. And they'd fought the battles, right? They, they, they'd won. God wanted them to go and enjoy the land. And it's like, listen, you're going to get to live elsewhere in Scripture. It says, you're going to get to live in houses you didn't build. And you're going to get to harvest fields you didn't plant. And you're going to get to enjoy the safety of walls you didn't construct. Go, get it. And they're like, we're good. <laughs> and so God has to kind of get them out of their inertia. How does he do that? He asks a two-word question. How long? That's what Joshua says. How long are you going to do this? I think they were complacent. They were satisfied that they were used to nomadic life. Remember, they did 40 years in the wilderness. And then they kind of shifted into battle mode, right? And they, they lived in camps while they fought the, the battles to conquer the land. That's what they knew. God says, I've got this incredible blessing out there for you. Go, go get it. And they were just like, but this would, that would mean something different than what we know. There was this level of inertia. And so Joshua asked him this question, how long? How long are you going to do that? And I wonder today if the Lord's church needs to hear the same question. How long are we going to squabble over worship styles and the color of the carpet in the building when our culture is going to hell? Those things, do they really matter ultimately? How long are we going to go on buying toys and things that are fun that will all burn one day anyway? Or break and not investing in the kingdom of heaven like Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount how long will we come in here on Sunday morning and put on this mask and pretend like everything's okay when it's not and, and, and we do this we walk in here and we wear this mask and someone says how are you and you lie in church fine really I mean, if you are awesome, cool. That's great. Praise God. But I think if we were willing to take that off and just be raw and real, in love, in kindness, but I'm not doing so hot today. I think we might find a greater level of love and acceptance in this body. And so when lost and hurting people come in, they feel that. It's noticeable. How long, here's what I'm asking you, how long will you live below the level of your privilege in Christ? How long? That's the question, I think, when, when you say, it's designed to expose your inertia. The question is designed to make you realize, man, I am stuck. Oh, no. What do you do? Well, you've got to come up with a plan. And, and, and that might look different from what you're dealing with. If, if you're dealing with addiction... Maybe it's time to pour out everything in the cabinet and pour it down the drain or flush it down the toilet. If you're struggling with addiction to pornography, maybe it's time to get covenant eyes or some kind of software on your computer that holds you accountable. 
you, you, you've got to come up with a plan. If, it, if it's an overindulgence in food, <laughs> let's be honest, maybe it's like saying, um, okay, I've gotta, I'm going to meet a buddy at the gym, and we're going to do this, and we're going to you know, send each other a list of what we ate every day. It, it, maybe for you, it's just like, listen, I know the life God is calling me to in the Word, and I just can't seem to carve out the time to get it done every day. Pick a friend who's also wrestling with that, and you say, listen, we're both going to download the Bible app, we're going to set up a calendar, and every day I'm going to text you at dinner time. did you, were you in the Word today? Or you text me? And you come up with a plan. Whatever it is that you feel like is holding you back from experiencing all the blessings God has for you, right? Anything that you're, where, you're, where you're living less than, you're living below the level of your privilege in Christ, you come up with a plan and you tackle it head on. That's how you overcome inertia. Let me give you a couple more battle strategies. Here's the second thing. You attack fear with faith. You attack fear with faith. I had a mentor in the church plant that we did in Montana. His name was Bill Putman. Bill was the kind of guy who didn't pull any punches. He was just flat out all the time. My wife is smiling. She knows it. It, it, it was rough, man. He, there were times we'd get together, and he would be he was, he was helping me plant the church, right? And he was, he was hard on me, man. He was like, like a coach and a mentor and my dad all wrapped up together. Like, it was just, he just let me have it. Come on, Casey. I mean, you just do that. And how you felt like two cents worth of sin on a popsicle stick. Like, you just... Ugh. And then he would pray for me. And I remember this I, one time, it just stuck in my head. I was sitting in his office in, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and he was sitting there and he just prayed. He said, God, Casey has so much potential, he doesn't even see it. There's, there's more you want to do with him, and he, he's not... He's not living up to this. And I probably tried too hard today, Lord, so forgive me. He didn't ask for my forgiveness. He asked God to forgive him. <laughs> I probably tried too hard today, but Lord, I, I, I see what you could do with this man. It's like the Grinch, man. My heart grew three sizes in that moment. Wow. Right? What was he doing there? He was trying to help me see that we minister. He told me, he said, you minister out of two places. Your, your weakness and your strength. He goes, sometimes you've got to minister out of your weakness, and that's good. Then the good news is his power is made perfect in weakness, God told Paul, right? And you get to minister out of your strength. This is stuff you're good at and you like to do, okay? But he said, listen, when, when you're experiencing fear because of your weaknesses, the only way to deal with that is faith. Just trust that God is who he said he is, that he'll do what, the, what he said he'll do. I'm still working on learning that lesson. I think that's something you work on your whole life. But, but I know that that's the lesson the Israelites needed to learn. Joshua says that he's going to cast lots in the presence of the Lord. Did you hear that? I hope you did because it got said twice. In the presence of the Lord. Literally, the Hebrew text says, in the face of the Lord. The word presence is the normal word for face. And I want you to hear this. What this means is that Joshua is saying, God is paying attention to you. Church, I wonder sometimes if the reason we live below the level of our privilege is because we think God's not really watching. 
God's not really watching. Please hear me. Part of the way that you attack fear with faith is the understanding that God is watching you. He's paying attention to you. Hear me. You have the eyes of the almighty king of the universe. You are his child. He loves you. And if you've ever been to the pool, you've seen an example of this. Little kid on the edge of the pool, right? They're standing there, and they're trying to psych themselves up to jump in. And they, they, they'll, start, they'll, they'll kind of half start like three times, right? Like, nope. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, they'll do that, and they'll do this. Now, what happens when, when dad is right there? Shoo! They go, right? Dad's good. He'll catch me. If, even if I go under, he'll yank me up because he can touch. And when you begin to realize that the almighty king of the universe is watching you, you have his attention. It frees you up to stop being afraid. And in moments when you're uncertain and you can just jump, just go. <laughs> because you can trust that God is going to be there. Listen, I think there, there are, sometimes we don't realize what possibilities are locked up inside us until some necessity compels you to attempt something that you'd always considered impossible. Michelangelo was tasked to paint the walls and ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. He said, I don't know if you know this, he said no. He'd never done that before. He didn't want to do it. And uh, the patron was like, mm, we don't accept your rejection. <laughs> You're going to have to do this. And they kind of made not doing it um, un an unfavorable future. So he started mixing his paints and he got to work and created what is arguably one of the greatest works of art in the history of the world. There's, sometimes there's this difference, there's this, this huge gap between my position in Christ, right? Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. And when you acknowledge him as Savior and Lord and give him your life in repentance and confession and baptism, he puts the Holy Spirit into your life. You, you are now, by God's grace, an adopted son or daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and when that happens, this is your position. This is your standing in Christ. And yet, sometimes there can be this huge gap between your position, your standing, and your experience. This is who I am, and this is what I'm like. It doesn't have to be that way. And I think, ultimately, the message of this Thrive Mode series is... Don't believe the enemy's lie that that's the way it just has to be. That's a lie. It's a lie. There can be a gap between those two things. There shouldn't be. The thing that makes the difference, the thing that bridges the gap is operative faith. Faith in action. James says faith without deeds is dead. It can't just be random intellectual assent, like, yep, I believe that, okay, I accept that as true. No, it means get off your backside and do something. See, the people wanted to experience this rest that Joshua promised them in chapter 1, verse 13, but they wanted to do it on their terms. And what they needed to learn was that God had a better rest, a more complete rest for them if they were faithful and obedient enough to just, just believe him enough to take it. So listen, if you're dealing with fear this morning, that one of the best things you can do is just trust that your Heavenly Father is going to catch you and just jump. You, you attack fear with faith. There's one more strategy. 
you destroy apprehension with appropriation. You destroy apprehension with appropriation. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. In fact, I was actually planning on preaching a totally different message. I was going to look from Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, and, and just the way that y'all responded to last week's message, just as I'm kind of feeling out the room, I thought, I need to press into this a little bit more. So on Monday morning, I changed course. Not normal for me. I don't like doing that. But it was just, it was the way that you guys were responding. And we talked about this a little bit last Sunday, but I wanted to press into it a little bit more because I think it bears some more, more discussion. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4 this, this wonderful thing, and I want you to see this. Look at this. He says, So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, the Hebrew word for daddy, father. Since you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Do you understand what that means? It means that you have the privilege to appropriate the unlimited resources of the God of the universe to fulfill his will for you. I want you to hear me clearly. If you need something and it is within the will of God, that's kind of the qualifier. If you need something and it is within the will of God, you have it. You just need to tell him. You, just, you tell him and, and you, you got it. Now, it has to be within his will, and sometimes that can be difficult to discern. I'll acknowledge that. But if you need something and it's within his will, you just tell him and you, you got it. See, in this text, the, the, the men here are supposed to describe each area town by town because the number and the nature is more important than how many square miles each tribe gets. And, and he, you know, there's this whole plan, like, okay, you guys do this, and you guys go here, and then they, the, and we read in the latter half of chapter 18 and chapter 19 how it all gets divided up. It, I think it shows the difference, really, between people who are, who are content with whatever life gives them versus people who appropriate the blessings God said they could have, right? Like, you've got this, the tribe of Dan that's mentioned out later in the text, and they're like, yeah, you know, the, the land that we were assigned is it's okay but what we really want is that so we're gonna go get it and they did so what do, you, what do you mean like you just need to tell god what you need and you have it like casey what are you talking about let me tell you a story i heard a story about a, a little girl um that wasn't feeling well and uh got sick at school and you know went to the nurse and the nurse took her temperature and began to look at the symptoms and was like oh no this is, this is really bad. So called the doctor and, and got a prescription at the local pharmacy and then called mom and sent mom to go, pick, like, call mom at work. You need to get off work right now. We've, the doctor has already called in a prescription. Um, sorry, I, you guys don't have any idea what this means. I'll do that. Um, <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> so called the doctor, right, and said, you know, uh, we, we've got, we, we, we sent you straight to the pharmacy to pick up this prescription. Your daughter's very, very ill, and you need to pick her up now and get her the medicine now and then take her home. So she goes, she, oh, no. So she leaves work, and she goes to the pharmacy, and she goes in and, and, and gets the medicine and um, puts it in the car and goes around to the other side and 
locked her keys in her car with the medicine. Mom is freaking out at this point. She thinks her daughter's dying, right? And so in that moment, she just prays. And it was one of those desperation prayers, but it was just the right prayer, where she's like, God, I need you to help me right now. And she hears like the Harley rumbling and turns around and this, this big, scary looking dude on a Harley rolls up. And I mean, he's, if you think, you know, scary biker dude, and it absolutely fit the stereotype. He's like 6'3", probably weighs 275, big, bushy, salt and pepper, beard, bandana, scars, tattoos, hell's angel, leather, like just the, the stereotype, right? Just the worst, all the things. And he, he pulls up next to her, and she said, good, is there any way that you could help me open my car? I locked my keys in. I need help. And he goes, uh, <laughs> yeah, hang on a second. Digs in his saddlebag and pulls out this little doodad, and in like 30 seconds has the door open. And, and she said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and reaches up and just gives him a big hug and says, oh, praise God, you're such a nice man, thank you. And he pushed her away. He said, lady, I am not a nice man. I, I just got out of prison. I did 20 years for stealing cars. And she was like, God, thank you. You sent me a professional. <laughs> Joshua wanted to communicate to the people of Israel that they should not delay in receiving the good things God had for them. But I think he also wanted to remind successive generations that they should never settle for half of God's blessings when they could have them all through faith and obedience. Let me give you another example. If somebody told you that if you were to walk to Brownsburg, they would completely overhaul your car. Like from here, if you're here at Chapel Rock and you're going to walk to Brownsburg, they totally overhaul your car. Brand new engine, brand new suspension, new suspension, new brakes, you know, transmission, interior, all that stuff. Fix all the little dents and dings. Totally overhaul it. Make it look like it just came off the factory line. Would, would you make the walk? <laughs> yeah. Now, what if they told you, yeah, but if you walk the extra 10 miles to Pittsburgh, we'll give you a brand new car. Sign me up. I'll go get my hiking shoes now. I don't care if it's 31 degrees outside. I'll go. That's awesome. I think that's what God was telling the people. Like, listen, yeah, you've got some, but I've got this that I want to give you. If you'll just reach out and grab it, if you'll appropriate it. See, when Emma was really little, our daughter Emma, when she was about three, it was when we were planting the church in Montana. There was just lots of new, just constant new and change all the time. And she would say, she's like three, four years old, she would say, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. There was this kind of apprehension that was part, just part of her daily life, you know? And we had to reassure her, honey, it's going to be okay. We, it's, it's okay, you know? Because we, we were like, just trust us. We got this figured out. <laughs> She'd go to bed. Do you have this figured out? I don't have this figured out. But God has this figured out. How many times do we do that? Maybe it's not fear for you. Maybe it's just God is calling you into something new and different and you've never done it before and there's this little bit of apprehension and you're like, I, 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 God, I don't know about this. And I wonder if you're missing out on some thriving that God has for you. 
some blessing that God wants to give you if you just appropriate the good things that he's already given you in Christ. So what do you mean by appropriation? I I learned this from a man named J. Oswald Sanders. He's with the Lord now. Um, Great brother in the Lord. Uh, This fantastic book, Spiritual Maturity. I would recommend this to every Christian believer out there. It's so good. But he, in this book, he tells a story about the late Dr. F.B. Meyer, Bible scholar, commentator. And he, he learned this idea of appropriation. And he learned it, believe it or not, teaching a bunch of kids. You know, kids get squirrely. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, every now and then, kids are just kind of obnoxious and squirrely, you know. And uh, he just had it with this group that day. He just, it, they were driving him nuts. And here's this guy, he's a Bible scholar, he's written commentaries, he's preaching, and he's, 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 you know, tasked with doing this youth lesson, right? And the kids are driving him crazy. And in his heart, not out loud, but in his heart, he, he cries out, your patience, Lord. And he said instantly, and this is the way he described it, a cooling lump of patience landed in his heart. And he was able to bring the meeting to a conclusion. The kids were able to learn about how much God loves for them. It was a good thing. Dr. Meyer says that changed his whole spiritual experience. And ever after that, when he needed something desperately, he learned instead of asking God, God, would you please give me, he just demanded it from his heavenly father. Your patience, Lord. Boom. In struggling, and this was not Dr. Meyer, but this is expanding on the idea. So you're struggling with lust. Your purity, Lord. You're not sure in a difficult situation how to tell the truth. Your honesty, Jesus. Jesus always told the truth. You're feeling like you're not enough in a situation. Your power, Lord. And that, that's, it's simply appropriating the very things God said he wants to give you. You're struggling in this moment to love someone who's being difficult. Your love, Lord. When you feel like, I don't know about this, you appropriate the blessings God said he wants to give you. They're already yours. You are a son, you are a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and all you have to do is tell him what you need and expect to receive it. Listen, here's the big idea today, and we're done. You need to believe God when he tells you how to thrive. When he tells you how to do this, you need to believe him. And I guess my my urge, my challenge for you today as we wrap up this series on thriving is, would you just, could I challenge you, just believe God enough to do what he says. See what that does. Because when the one, capital O, when the one who thrives more and thrives harder than any other being in the universe tells you what to do, y'all maybe should listen and then act on that. And you've got an opportunity right now to do that. Maybe this morning you've been living below the level of your privilege. And so just in a second when we stand and sing together, you might have a need to do business with God. You might need to repent and say, God, I, you, you've got so much more for me than, than, than I've been living. And, and I just, I, I want to turn my back on that way of living, Jesus. And I want, I want everything that you have for me. And you just name that off and tell him that you need it.
Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've got a prayer request. We'd love to pray with you. And maybe today, listen, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you don't have the resources you need to do this. But you can, you can walk out of here today with them. If you've never made a decision to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, never acknowledged him as the one who died on the cross in your place for your sin and rose again, you need to do that now. And in just a second, when we sing together, I would invite you to come forward you confess Christ as Lord, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, and he will put in you the resources necessary to live this way. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing together, and you respond as God leads you.